an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast. In today's podcast, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Christopher Tabit. He's the founder of This is Philanthropy. Uh, it is a philanthropic foundation which was first launched in Cambodia to raise the funds for educational NGOs, providing business development and strategic fundraising. And today we are here to discuss on this interesting topic of political psychology in today's times. Welcome to today's podcast, Christopher. Thank you. Nice to be here. So, yeah. Now, talking about political psychology, because it's, it's having these two terms, one is political, another one is psychology, uh, which I'm sure most of the people would want to know. What does this term exactly mean if a layman is first listening to it? So pretty much um, p- politics, uh, a political ideology is actually, um, a lot of it is actually genetic. You know, the, there have been studies done um, where researchers have followed children from the age of three years old all the way until they're in their 20s and they predicted what political ideology that they had based on their personality as a child. And this was actually pretty consistent through in their 20s. So, for example, we got the left and the right. We got uh, liberal and conservative. And these researchers, they observed these children that were in uh, preschool or whatever, the, these toddlers, and they found that the ones that were very outgoing and, and outspoken and um, they, they liked to socialize a lot, they ended up being the more liberal kid, the, the, the more liberal kids. And they found in, the tw- in their 20s that these people were liberals as opposed to the children who are a bit more, um, bit more reserved and a bit more, uh, I, guess, I guess you could say, respectful towards authority. They turned out to be the conservatives in their 20s. So all of this goes back to, and, and of course, uh, we, with personality, personality is approximately, from the studies that have been done, the research, a personality is approximately 40% genetic. And then environment and your culture plays a role in, in shaping your personality as well. So personality and, and political ideology, whether you're left or right, liberal or conservative, has a lot to do with your personality. And that's that. That's where politics and psychology intersect. Uh, yeah, I think that's a very interesting um, kind of theory that you are pointing out. But don't you think this fact that when a child is growing, he's still pretty small, you know, when, when he or she starts growing, there are some traits which are genetic, there are some traits which are attributed traits, which they might learn over a period of time. So... When you say that it stays constant over a period of time, what do you mean by that? Because 
I somehow feel that it might change. You might be a different person when you are a child. Your way of thinking, your way of behaving towards others might be different if you are a five-year-old as compared to when you are twenty-five years old. Yeah, so it it does it does change, especially when you're in those early years. As a child, your your brain is very plastic, more so than when you're an adult. You know, by the age of about thirty to thirty-five, you you start to really get set in your ways a little bit more. But in those formative years, you you very very plastic, and you're very um, you, you change a lot. Um, what what these researchers did was they they observed the personality of the children, and they made a prediction as to what political orientation they would possess when they were in their 20s and this was one of the, this was one, a really long study that was done because they they had to record these children and and what they predicted these children would have and then follow them up chase them up like two decades later and uh, you know it wasn't all completely 100% accurate all their predictions there was some variation, and of course, environment plays a huge role in that. So, you know, growing up and uh, experiencing a trauma, for example, it, during childhood, that changes a lot. So, uh, there were a few exceptions, but uh, on average, their predictions were pretty spot on. And how do you link uh, political psychology in current scenario? Because a lot of the people have now come up with these terminologies, as we all know, and you also pointed out, which are called left-wing people and right-wing people. But again, even after two or three years, you will see some of the left-wing people might not behave as a typical left-wing. They might not accept the ideology of a left-wing leader. They might want to switch towards. Um, the ideology of right wing, but will not be open enough to say that they are right wing. Or you know, it can be the opposite case because I've met a lot of people who are um, who can be considered as silent voters in a democracy. They are generally not vocal. They are generally not open enough. But again, when you talk to them, you ask them a few questions, you try to dig the surface, you come to know what kind of ideology they hold. But is that the ideology that they generally hold in their life or is it just for the political mindset that they have towards the politics that they are thinking? Well, I think for the most part, for the most part, everyone's pretty central. You know, you have your extremists on, on either side, but I think for, for the most part, most of us are pretty central in that we're going to agree with some of leftist ideologies and we're going to agree with some conservative ideologies and i think we can sway from side to side really depending on the situation at hand and and that's in, that's the important thing in in democracies that we have these polar opposites because we're faced with different situations all the time and sometimes a, a liberal approach to a situation is is beneficial and sometimes a more conservative approach is is more beneficial you you asked you mentioned that um does political ideology kind of uh does it ex expand into our everyday life i would say given that 
personality is a very good predictor of political orientation. I, I think it does in some ways. Um, you know, for, for example, liberals. Liberals are known to be really high in... Uh, I'm referring to the, pers the big five personality model now. Liberals tend to be really, really high in trait openness to experience and low in conscientiousness. Whereas conservatives tend to be high in conscientiousness and lower in openness to experience. So given that personality is a really good predictor of, of uh, political orientation, I would say you would see some of these things expand out into everyday life. For example, there are a lot of liberals in uh, Silicon Valley. Why are there are a lot of liberals in Silicon Valley? Well, liberals tend to be higher in openness. And openness is usually, uh, if, you, if you're really open, you're an entrepreneurial or artistic type. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And so we see a lot of liberals in that area because there, it's really, it's a, that region of, of the US is really entrepreneurial and really artistic. Mm -hmm. And so there, you see this cluster of, of liberals. That's a, it's a really, uh, California in general is a, is a blue state. Um, but Silicon Valley is one example that, that I, I use. Um, and that's just one, one example referring back to what you asked. Does it, you know, does it expand out into our, into our lives? That's, that's an example of how it does. Yeah, I think this is an interesting discussion, Christopher, because now I can link back to some of the topics, you know, which are trending in the world and how people mm. link those topics to you being a left-winged or right-winged. For example, take this issue of climate change, which has been ongoing for so long. Climate change came to the picture in 2015 when this Paris Agreement was signed between countries. And then we saw uh, the US President Donald Trump who came out of the Paris Agreement. And now again, uh, Joe Biden signed uh, the Paris Agreement. So I'm just talking with reference to United States, but it is for same, you know, it is quite similar across the countries. Um, do you think climate change is again one issue which has been kind of linked with a left-winged ideology and not something which an extreme right-wing person or a politician would want to go with that? Because there has been this some sort of consistency that a lot of right-wing politicians want to move towards, uh, want to move, still move with the traditional way of running the industries using fossil fuels. And they have not been that open to accepting climate change. Um, most of them have been rejecting it. And that's why if even if you look at the measures that they have taken, um, they seem to have been delaying the fact that climate change is no, no longer real, right? And that's why in their political motives also, they are, um, they are saying that we might go carbon, you know, we might go plastic free by 2035 or 2040. But... On the other hand, the left-wing politicians may want to act uh, quicker than that, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. I, th I think that's a, that's a very obvious thing. One thing to point out, like with, right, with conservative ideology, they're very, uh, 
They're a lot more economic-driven and fiscal-driven, monetary-driven, uh, as opposed to their, their left-wing counterparts who are, who are more social, social justice, um, more sensitive to equality. Uh, conservatives tend to be less sensitive to equality than, than liberals. And I, I think, I think the, the hard right uh, ideology opposes climate change but I think for the most part, conservatives don't necessarily oppose climate change uh, per se. It's, they oppose climate change if it's going to negatively affect the economy. Um, yeah, that's, and, and yeah, I, I see a lot of leftists who are pro-climate change. Um, I'm not sure exactly why that is. Perhaps, perhaps I've been thinking about it a lot, even in relation to the vaccines and, you know, and COVID and all the measures that are being put in place. Perhaps because academia, for example, is, um, it's predominantly liberal academia. And, and so with climate change, you have a lot of the scientific research that's out. And, you know, academ academics, they, they follow research and most of them tend to be liberal. It's a very liberal, universities are very liberal environment, you know, especially from what I've heard in, a, in, in the US and Canada. I don't feel it that much. I, I do feel it here, but I don't see any wokeism or any extreme leftism here. Um, like you hear about in, in Canada and America. Um, but it is a very liberal environment. And, and so, you know, that, that liberals, they, they have that ideology of, you know, uh, pro-equality and, and looking after the environment. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess because there's a lot of people in academia who are liberal and they where does all the research come from for, for climate change, for example? A lot of it comes from the universities themselves. So that's, that's a theory I have. I'm, not, I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, climate change is just one of the topics, but I've been hearing about similar things across different domains, be it LGBTQ topic or be it the topic of nationalism. Um, most of the right-wing leaders in the recent times have been fighting on the basis of nationalism and religion. Nationalism and, and religion have been two major tools for a lot of uh, right-wing political leaders. But coming back to the topic um, of political psychology, I just want to understand from you, do you think that this is a consistent theory across the nations or is it more predominant in the West or more predominant in the East? Or do you think that it's a bit consistent across across the world that how people think in the childhood also replicates when they grow up, um, you know, and when they are older than 20 or 30? Look, I think given the fact that th this personality is a, is a big predictor for political ideology and that personality tends to be you know, approximately 40% genetic. Uh, I think it's pretty consistent. Um, it comes down to, at the end of the day, it comes down to 
how you perceive human nature and your sensitivity to, to inequality. And I, everyone has that capacity to, you know, to, to have opinions on or, or perceptions on, on human nature and how, and how the world works. And uh, uh, everyone has a sensitivity threshold towards inequality. Uh, depending, on, depending on culture, because culture, your environment plays a huge role in shaping your personality and, and your political ideology, um, the, culture, your, the culture in which you belong play, would play a huge role. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of cultures, say the Arab cultures and some of the Asian cultures, which are very, very conservative. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of born liberals in those regions of the world, but that culture itself, growing up in that culture and having to adopt a lot of their views and it kind of, it would shape someone to become a little bit more conservative, but no doubt in these conservative cultures, there are probably a lot of liberals. We just wouldn't really know about it because you're not allowed to really speak out. But people, I think people are born with certain predispositions and however they, however they adapt and, and, and change over the course of their lifetime, they're always going to possess a certain ideology. It's, it's a, the, the best way to put it is we are political animals. We're, we're, we're wired to, to play politics. Yeah. And, and there, there's, there's evidence for this at the level of chimpanzees who also play politics. They play it with, in different ways than us, obviously. Ours is far more complex. But there are, there, they do play political games, chimpanzees, and that's what we come from, essentially. Yeah. Considering this uh, discussion, um, Christopher, you know, one or two questions more before we wrap up today's discussion. Uh, since you are saying that a lot of people have a consistent mindset throughout their childhood and as they move into uh, when they are teenagers, um, do you also think that the minimum age limit in of, of voting in most of the countries, if you know it's 18, um, mm. do you think that it should be decreased um, to, to, you know, to have more voters into account? Or do you think that 18 is the right age limit to have a matured way of looking into things and a matured uh, way of voting to whom you are vote, uh, to whom you are going to vote because most of the people uh, if they are having a similar mindset should they be given an opportunity to vote probably when they are 14 or 15 that's a hard one definitely not when they're that, when they're that young and and i say that because i don't even think adults uh, uh, are 100% appropriate to be voting. The, the, like we live in a democracy and, and that's the beauty of democracy we all get to say. But I just think about it sometimes. Uh, so, many, so many of us, most of us, who we don't, we don't really understand finance that well. We don't understand economics that well. I, I mean like to the textbook level where we can really understand what's going on. 
we don't understand like public health, all of these, we don't understand education, all of these, um, these big, these elements that make up a, a society, most of us don't understand. And if we understand one of them, we, it's likely we don't understand some of the others. So that's really hard to say, like, definitely not young. Um, I'd say 18 is, is probably is probably the best. But then, you know, I think about it. I, I didn't care about politics when I was 18. And so I didn't know who I was voting for. And so, and, and there's probably a lot of people in that, in that situation, in that boat. And so they're going and they're voting without really knowing what they're doing. This is impacting the, the final result. And, and as an adult, as a third year old, I, I think about that now. Who, and I'm, I'm more, I pay attention more to politics now because I know how much it affects me because, I, because I'm older and I'm an adult and I'm in the workforce and I'm, in, and I'm studying. And I do it. So everything affects, it, it impacts me now and I feel it. But when you're 18, it, it's, it's less important. You pay less attention to it. And so you're going to the ballot to vote not really knowing what you're doing and this affects the results and that's that's one that's one flaw in our system and i don't know how to get around that yeah no i was just raising that point because generally people uh, who are in this age bracket are considered to be the future of this future of any country people who are 15 16 18 they are the ones who are going to who, who will be the future leaders in the next 10, 20, 30 years. So, um, but obviously, you know, they don't have a maturity level. They don't have enough knowledge to take, to take a decision. Um, but a lot of youngsters these days um, are quite smart. If you talk to people who are in the high school or students who are in the high school, they're pretty smart in um, coming out with their opinions. They might not be knowledgeable. They might not have an expertise on anything but they are very smart in sometimes answering um, what they think on a particular issue. Um, obviously, there can be people who don't know anything, but um, we have been seeing this uh, across countries when you interview people who are in, uh, or students who are in high school at this moment. Um, any final comments from you, Christopher, on today's topic uh, that we discussed and that the audience can probably take away with? Yeah, so I just, I want to go through some of the, um in terms of liberalism and conservative conservatism, I want to go through some of the, the results. I, I have some studies here. Um, so uh, liberalism, we, we, as we discussed before, high in openness to experience, which is associated with an appreciation for aesthetics and abstract ideas. So people high in openness are flexible and open to change, which perhaps explains the progressive like qualities in the liberal way of thinking. Um, and another important note, something that's uh, a very new emerging field is like personality neuroscience. And there was some interesting MRI study scans um, conducted and they found that there are two parts of the brain and depending on the, the size of this part of the brain determined political, po political ideology. 
So for example, the, the anterior cingulate cortex, this is found to be bigger in liberals. And what the, the anterior cingulate does is error detection, conflict monitoring, uh, the evaluation of competing choices and emotion regulation. And a, a hypothesis is that the, because liberals, uh, so, so the anterior cingulate cortex helps um, navigate through ambiguous situations and, and deal with ambiguous information. And the researchers hypothesize that maybe the anterior cingulate being bigger in liberals, um, they were better able to deal with, you know, ever-changing environments, uh, and which allowed them to be progressive in their views, as opposed to conservatives who have a bigger amygdala, right amygdala. Amygdala is associated with the fear response. It triggers the fear response. And the researchers hypothesize that maybe that larger right amygdala in conservatives was the reason for why they had such strong emotional responses to change. So, so uh, you know, I, I, an, an idea is that conservatives are more resistant to change than, than liberals. Liberals want change. Conservatives want, like the status quo. And they, 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 the researchers hypothesize that these two brain regions could maybe explain why liberals are progressive seeking and they like ambiguous information and situations, you know, progressive qualities of thinking and conservatives being more traditional, status quo, resistant to change. They're more conscientious uh, uh, conservatives. They're more conscientious and they're high, specifically high in the lower uh, tr level trait of orderliness. And orderliness is um, status quo and um, yeah, resistant to, resistant to that change. They're more rigid in their thinking as opposed to the very flexible thinking liberal progressives. So, yeah, I thought those two things were, were interesting to point out. Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is something very interesting that you have just pointed out at the end of the podcast. And I'm sure that a lot of people who might be listening to you from a left-winged, right-winged or center perspective now will be able to backtrack how they think and how they then vote for different politicians. And probably through this podcast, we might be able to... Um, change the way people think towards their countries, towards their politicians, and how they eventually choose who is the right person for their country to lead on different issues, on the economic front, on the social front, on different fronts that they are voting for. And obviously, you know, there are different kinds of people. That's why we are having this research. And it's absolutely fine to have different kinds of people in one country because that's how, um, you know, uh, we have we live together. All the five fingers of one hand cannot be the same. Uh, cannot you, be. You want it. You want it that way. You want a country full of liberals and conservatives because that's balance. You want you want there to be tension and friction because that's how we solve problems. That's how we that's how we move forward when there's that a healthy a healthy level of tension and friction between the right and the left.
you want you want the those five fingers like you mentioned absolutely and healthy competition as you also said that there can always be a difference in the way uh, you and i think or maybe a third person thinks but obviously uh, there is nothing unhealthy going on at a personal front with people and that's why we say that you know you should always have a good sportsmanship when we talk with respect to games that you might be competing uh, with some other person on the field but when you come out of the field you are just a normal person at the end of the day but thank you so much christopher i think it was a really great chat and i'm sure whoever is going to listen to this podcast is going to get some really great insights thank you so much for your time and i hope to see you again sometime on this podcast thanks for having me it was a pleasure this is an ultimate global podcast hello and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs you're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney